Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. I want to welcome you to our special series of Money Sense, specifically dedicated to providing valuable information regarding the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. For nearly 30 years, I have been helping listeners learn how to relate many of life's situations to their finances. This pandemic has caused wide-scale disruption in nearly every sector of our lives. No matter your personal situation, we strive to meet you where you are at, both financially and emotionally. Our guests during this series include a futurist, economist, physician, psychologist, as well as local Milwaukee business professionals to get their perspective on how you can apply their insight and expertise to your financial future. This important series will be aired on WISN AM 1130 during our regular Money Sense times, which are Saturdays at 2 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at noon. They will also be available on demand at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope you will find these informative and be sure to share them with your family and your friends. My guest today is James Miller. He is the founder and president of Miller Quaz, and he is an independent healthcare consulting consultant. And he's actually located right here in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Jim provides leadership and strategies and direction for his clients, of course, and to his community. And I am just absolutely thrilled that you were able to join me, Jim, today because I, you know, as far as being a financial person, there definitely has been a conversation stopper out there on finance, but I don't think anything comes close to what we've been experiencing around the conversations of healthcare. That one has touched us in every single way. And I, I don't think that there is a person that hasn't asked themselves, is my health in jeopardy? And, and what does that mean? And so, Jim, if you could just give us kind of a global view of, as you see it, um, in this whole healthcare pandemic. Our company is called My Cause, Miller Cause, and our website's mycause.com. But the initials stand for quality, access, and affordability. And the S stands for strategy. So in a macro picture worldwide, when you're sick or you feel sick, or if you don't know you're sick, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about the quality of the provider you're gonna to go to, right? You're thinking about access, can I get access? That's why this was shut down, other, other services were shut down. So in case the virus was really severe, we would have access to healthcare if, versus the, the crowdedness for elective surgeries. And then affordability, and it's really funny about affordability. What I mean by that is when I say funny, I mean, when you're not sick, you complain about the health care. When you are sick, affordability is a non-issue. Now, in the, in the area of affordability also, you have people that this has been on the news, this is nothing new, and this is nothing uh, that's just being exaggerated right now. You have people with no insurance at all. So affordability is a big deal. Then you have people on Medicaid, which is a big deal because they have less access than people with commercial insurance because of their fee structure reimbursement. And then you have people on Medicare and we have a growing number of those people. And uh, Karen, you probably have a lot of those people in your portfolio right now. And the, they reimburse hospitals lesser. 
So what a hospital or a doctor's office needs is a good mix of patients. Right now, it's really ironic that we have really good access to care. Providers are begging people to come back and lose their fear, as you kind of pointed out, and get rid of the fear because it's really a safe place when you look at other possibilities, especially when you're sick or you need preventive care. But that fear item is standing in people's way. What's really nice about this in a very positive sense is the hospitals and provider community has done everything in their power to scrub, to prevent, to really make it the safest place possible because of, well, number one, because it's their job, but number two, because of the perception on behalf of the public that you're going to get sick if you go to a provider. That's not a, that's not a healthy mindset. You had mentioned the hospitals, and, and I'm, I'm curious because so many of the elective surgeries were postponed, and um, I see two things happening. I see people maybe realizing they don't need to go to the doctor as much as they thought they did. And I'm wondering when, they, when the spigot is turned back on and people can go and get those elective surgeries done as it's starting to happen, what's the impact going to be on the hospitals and on healthcare? And will they be able to handle it? Well, I think there'll be a gradual uh, build up to that because you're going to have people uh, across the spectrum that is uh, that are more apt to get care versus others um, in the beginning. But actually, there is a big backlog building. I think Children's Hospital came out uh, yesterday with uh, 1,500 surgeries have been postponed at Children's Hospital. So I think that highlights, Karen, your point about the backlog. I know some GI... Uh, practices that have a backlog like crazy. So I think there will be a glut of demand coming up here. But I think it's really going to be up to the provider community to make sure these are done safely. And then those stories get on the TV because that could further scare people, which I think would be a real detriment to society and those individuals. One of the things that I've talked to several of our clients about, about and even for us, us as well, you know, we're working from home and we're doing Zoom meetings with all of our clients and they're loving it. And some of them are saying, I don't know if I'll ever need to come into the office again. And of course, I love the personal touch and, and love having our clients come in. But they're talking about doing the, the telemedicine um, over the phone and actually liking it. What kind of an impact is that going to have on medical care and the cost of medical care, and can they effectively do it over Zoom? Well, telehealth is really nothing new, but it's uh, what's new about it right now is people are using it. So you had people like Optum or United Healthcare having Teladoc, if you if you know that term at all. That's nothing new, but the utilization was really low. But in the nearer term now, local providers have switched their patients. About two percent of their patients were using telehealth whether it's Freighter, ProHealth, Advocate Aurora, now about 90% are using that. So I think it's here to stay. I think people do like it. I think they're used to it. I think uh, it'll be more personal responsibility because if my doctor tells me to go get x-rays and labs, it'll be my responsibility to go to that facility. Whereas in the olden days where I was in the doctor's office, I would go right down the hallway, which it would be easy access. So there's gonna be more personal responsibility using technology, but I think it's here to stay. The other really positive thing about this development that's pushed this forward to telehealth, it's been talked about a long time about the shortage of doctors as the population ages, and there's less doctors getting to medical school based on the population. 
So this more efficient model is gonna work well to saw help solve that problem of supply and demand. I think one of the real benefits of it is patients, and many times they're elderly, really don't have accessibility or knowledge as to how to operate a computer. But as children, as have parents, older elderly parents or older parents that they haven't been able to see, they've set up these computers where they can do Zooms. And I think patients and people are becoming more familiar with technology. And if that is something that can automatically be set up into a patient's home that they can log into that. A doctor can't read a lot just by seeing the patient and talking to the patient. Well, that's true. And to take it a step further, if you're in a nursing home, people can help them. They're also log in and you get the uh, electronic hookup. I think I want to expand on that before beyond the normal just office visit. And that's for like things like physical therapy. Those are now being done electronically where you have providers in their office directing people on exercise programs in especially nursing homes right now. So it isn't just your doctor, it's other services like PT, anything that you don't have to be on site for like lab and x-ray. The other item that I would say is there's monitoring devices like for your heart that are electronic. And so your doctor, your cardiologist can know your heartbeat or if there's problems 24-7. So these things, these items are an opportunity for creativity and entrepreneurship to come out on board and to be accepted by the public based on the current situation. Jim, when we come back, you just mentioned nursing homes. And this is something, I've had two clients who have passed away in nursing homes, and it's really been difficult for the family. I'm wondering, as I talk to people, the idea is I don't... I don't ever want to go to a nursing home. It's like nobody wants to get on a cruise ship again <laughs> and nobody wants to go to a nursing home. What is that impact going to happen as people are frightened about their parents? There's a lot of elderly who family who are afraid of lockdowns, the virus spreading inside. What is that going to look like? And um, if they opt to stay home and how will this affect our industry. My guest today is Jim Miller, and he is the founder and president of Miller Cause, and it's an independent healthcare consulting firm. And we are talking about the impact that it's going to have on Milwaukee, and specifically as we start out, on some of the retirement communities and nursing homes where our loved ones reside. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder and the senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And my guest today is Jim Miller. And as I said before, he's the founder and president of Miller Cause. And he is here helping us to understand the impact of some of the things that we've been hearing on the news and the media. And I was telling Jim that to me, it's like trying to take a drink out of a fire hose, figuring out this whole healthcare issue. It's really the, the biggest question. I don't think there isn't one of us out there that has asked ourselves, what will the impact of COVID-19 have on us and our family? And I know that I have had clients pass away during this, during this time. And it's been very difficult on the family because they haven't been able to get into the home. They haven't been able to see their loved one. And I like it a little bit like people saying, I don't know if I'm ever going to get on a cruise ship again, because I don't want to get stuck not being able to get into port and get off. The fear around these issues is monumental. And so, Jim, how do you envision that whole nursing home scene for 
residents and for family, for the community, and for healthcare? Well, that's a great question based on the sandwich generation right now. Many people have their children at home yet, or older or younger, whatever they are, and then they're concerned about their parents and nursing homes. So I'd start off by saying probably one of the biggest things about health in general, mental health and affects your physical health, is the, um, the medical cause of isolation or, or loneliness. That affects not only your mental health, but your physical health. So that's a big deal. You see on TV these pictures of people raising their hands through the window of people, but there's not much interaction there. And that's why the computer, like Zoom, can be a real good asset to that situation during this troubling time. The other item in nursing homes that is very uh, proud, the other two items that are very prevalent right now is the lack of visitors and the lack of PT coming into nursing homes. So they don't even get to see outside people, even medical people right now. So that's another, was another thing people looked forward to in the olden days. The olden days was about eight weeks ago, by the way. And they don't even get to see their physical therapist right now because it's not allowed in nursing homes. And then... um, And their eating habits, Jim, have changed because... Elderly people tend to eat together and they sort of mimic each other and it's a social and they start to eat. And so many people in these nursing homes are losing weight because they get bored and they lose interest in eating. Right. And beyond that, um, because of the social distancing, where there used to be four or six people at a table, now there's two. So yeah. now you don't even have the interaction between a bunch of people. It's, it's you and one other person. And there's only so much you can talk about that other person too. <laughs> and most of them are still eating in their in their rooms. Right, right. So when you look at the the effects this has, not only on the the fear factor, but on the social interaction with people, that they can't see their families, they can't talk to many people in nursing home. They're fearful of talking to people. The lack of people coming in nursing homes to visit them, from a medical point of view, it's a very dramatic change for these people. And generally, people that that are that are in their 80s or 70s or 90s really resist change, but this is a force change upon them. Like if you've ever known somebody in a nursing home that has to move from suite one to suite two, that's a big deal. This is very dramatic for these people right now. You know, Jim, as a business owner, I think about my employees, and I always say, you never know what's on somebody's plate. You know, you never know all the things that are happening. We actually did that as a, a team meeting thing. We had a paper plate and we put everything that we thought our next door neighbor sitting next to us was on their plate. And then they gave it back to us and they wrote what was on their plate. And there were like 10 times more things. And one of them always is parents. And when you're stressed out, you can't be as productive. You're not as happy. You get sick more often. What is the impact going to be on business owners if parents are going to be home and if, if our employees are going to have more responsibility in that type of care? What is that going to look like for the employer and the employee? Yeah, well, the employer um, is going to have to be more understanding. Right now, they're not measuring productivity. They're, so they're hoping it's the same as at home as it is in the workplace. But obviously there's distractions and one, one of them can be a parent, either in a nursing home or living with them. And that still happens today in this day and age. Another item that's a big area of concern for employers and obviously their employees is, is the kids are home from school and they have to be the teacher now. So that's a big deal. All of a sudden we have made it our employees, not only our employees, not only our spouse, not only our, our regular mother, but now a teacher. And then if that, those are the kids in school and then the, the kids um, 
smaller kids, there's no daycare. So again, that's a constant 24-7 situation. The other thing that's happened uh, to go through the spectrum of the, uh, the, uh, the employee, kids are now home from college. So now you have that in, in situation where mom and dad have worries about what Jimmy's doing at night or when they're away to college. They, they really weren't worried about what Jimmy was doing at night because, quote, unquote, that was, the, that was the college experience. Now the college experience is happening at home. And a little bit of depression there with that thought also for the child themselves. They're not getting that regular college uh, experience like everyone else has before them. So it affects dramatically. I think I think it dramatically affects the employee. Right now, we're not focused on that as employers, but I think productivity is going to be a big question. It'll be measured over time. You know, Jim, when we are always shopping our health insurance, and you know, you go right to the bottom of the line because it's it's expensive for an employer to fund health insurance. And how is that going to impact the employers out there? Where instead of just shopping for the bottom line, are you going to be helping people to understand that they need to be more curious, they need to be more, have more empathy towards their employees in terms of um, what's actually happened with this epidemic, this pandemic? Well, that's an interesting question because I, I can see two sides of that coin. If there's 15% unemployment, there's a lot of people that want jobs, right? So the empathy for some employers just won't be there, particularly the larger ones. But I think the smaller employers that really have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with their employees will be more empathetic, but the job still needs to get done, right? And as far as your question is on insurance, right now, as you might guess, the insurance claims, whether you're self-funded or fully insured, are very low. So every time you pay your premium, let's say you're fully insured, that insurance company doesn't have many claims right now because people are fearful to seek care. So right now is a very profitable time for insurance companies. But as that builds up, it could be tough on the other side of this little valley we're on. Right now- What happens uh, to those reserves, Jim? Those, those extra dollars that have been accumulated, what will happen with those reserves? Through the Affordable Care Act, they have to give the money, some of that money back up to the loss range, was 80 or 85%. That's a problem insurance companies have right now that they're suspecting because they have a lot of refunds that'll be coming later this year, early next year, based on the Affordable Care Act. That's a lot more, when I say they're concerned, that's a lot more administration for them. So they've been uh, basically trying to uh, underwrite from a break-even point of view for the Affordable Care Act. This should be more profitable, so there'll be some refunds. But I think at renewal time, the insurance companies have to understand that there's going to be more risk next year and the employers might be getting a higher risk renewal than normal. We're going to take a quick break. And I'm curious um, with that, we've got a built up demand. We have some an overage of resources, but with a pending need for more resources. And then I've been watching on the news where they talk about um, some of these little hospitals and clinics that are in small towns and how they're suffering and they don't really have the finances to, to keep going. Yet many large hospital systems have never been wealthier, you know, and, and the same with the healthcare that's going on in rural areas, but also going on in our inner city. When we come back, can we just address that whole inequity of, of healthcare and 
are you just lucky enough to live in a big city and unlucky enough to live in a rural area that doesn't has one doctor for a huge a huge amount of population and with that we'll be right back Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder of the Ellenbecker Investment Group, as well as a, a senior wealth manager. And I am hoping that today that my guest and I are opening up the door to giving you an insight into the healthcare that's going on globally, as well as in Milwaukee, but also giving you access to a solution and to think about things a little bit differently, to sort of pause, take a deep breath, and try and understand how the impact is on you, your family, your loved ones, your community, your business, where you work, so that you can make really good decisions for yourself. Jim, before we went to break, you know, I talked about the inequity, and we're seeing it. If anything, this virus has certainly opened the door to see the inequities in some of the things in our communities and in our country. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on with the inequities in healthcare based on hospitals and doctors and costs and people having it and not even having it and their fear? Yeah, I will go back to 08, 09, where there was a term too big to fail. Remember that for term? Yes. So if you look at this here, we cannot afford to have hospitals and doctors go under. But the big hospital systems and the, uh, the macro ones are going to be the first of concern because those are the big centers. As you go down the uh, totem pole here, the smaller hospitals in the rural areas and then the doctor's office that are still independent are going to be less subsidized or worried about than the big centers. So that's something from a support point of view, a federal and state support point of view, because you need healthcare facilities in any community to really survive and have people want to live there. As far as the inequities go, there's been an ongoing problem that it's uh, that no one system says it's their problem. They say it's a community issue. It's true, but they all, all compete with each other. So when they say it's a community issue to w w worry about people in the inner city, just as one example, they all have kind of moved out of the inner city and moved into the suburbs. suburbs. So they all agree there's a problem. They all are managing their business from a profitability point of view, you know, to sustain the business. So they continue to move away from this. So that's where you have community centers like 16th Street Center in Milwaukee is one great example of that, bringing it to the local community. But again, the nonprofits, the ones that depend on donations and, and, uh, and support of the community, they're also going to be challenged because in this environment, people are not as willing to part with um, donation dollars and fundraisers. In fact, if you think about it right now, we can't even have a fundraiser, whether right. it's for uh, reading or whether it's for health or whether it's for uh, schools or whatever. We, we, cannot even, we cannot get more than 10 or 50 people in a room right now. And if I, if I had a fundraiser for 50 people, I don't even know if I could get 50 people there right now. So you think about all the auctions, not only in healthcare, but education is another big one right now. And all these nonprofit schools that are smaller in size, it's going to affect that also. So um, I think your question is good. And it's the only answer I have for you is money and where the kind of money comes from. The people are, are on the news, the healthcare system is begging the government for the money. But I don't know how long that, that can last. Uh, until we get back to some degree of normalcy. You know, Jim, one of the things that nobody's been really talking about very much is all the 
people out there who relied on a variety of different resources to sort of keep them centered and balanced and on track, such as AA and depression and, you know, um, mental illness. All those doors have been closed. And those were resources that people needed. And now they're gone. What's going to happen with that? How will people access that? And so many of the people don't have the financial wherewithal to to get places, you know, they use the transport, they use buses, and now that's all changed. It's well, there, well, there are organizations like Roger Memorial, you might see them, uh, that's our big one in this area. They do telehealth also. So that's easy access again if you have the equipment to do that. Right. But what we're but finding most out, of these people don't. Right. But what we're finding out from MPS also in the school system, not the kids at home to use a computer, they don't have a computer. Some of them don't, about 2,000 kids don't. So the people that need these things, these electronic devices, either don't have them or can't afford them or don't know how to use them. But to answer your question more broadly, we're going to be doing a lot more telehealth on the mental health side and the AA, et cetera. Whether that's as effective or not, I don't know if it will be, but that's the solution at this point. And again, you know, bringing it back, I guess, to dollars and cents too. And certainly, you know, I've been talking to Wendy, um, my marketing director, and I've been talking to my daughter, Julie. And, you know, we're looking at growth with a purpose. I think so much is going to change from the way you've mentioned several times, the old days, the old way that we did it. You know, it's almost difficult to figure out what is the new way, you know, what is this new experience going to be? And when we look at healthcare and we look at businesses and we, we look at being productive, but yet being supportive, I think that as business owners and as a community, we're going to have to start thinking about what really are our values and what's really important to our bottom line. And it's always been people first for me. I would say to that question, you're going to have a more efficient healthcare system. It's going to be telephonic. Like we talked, it's going to be much more impersonal. They're going to say, go get your labs. I'll see you in the hospital. Right now, I don't know if you know this, but if, if you want to, if you have, a, if, you, if you're scheduled for a surgical procedure, elective in nature, they want you five days in advance to go get tested for the virus. And you wait five days and then you go to the hospital or the outpatient department for both office visits and a surgical procedures, outpatient. You'll wait in the parking lot until they clear the lobby for you. So that's going to be very impersonal right now and very different in those situations. Um, the other thing that I worry about inequity that you've already mentioned a few times is I believe the wealthy people will have, have, will have more access to something we call concierge medicine. That's not been around. That's been around for a while. That's uh, hiring a doctor for you and your family to make sure you're, you're healthy. But I do think the wealthier people are going to want direct access to a doctor. They're going to want something more personal than virtual visits. And I think that'll be a growing industry, which could cause some disruption in society as a whole. Yeah, and let's take, a, let's take our last break. And one of the things that I've also noticed that has happened um, through some of the media is they've really been talking about the need for masks and the need for respirators and all of these different things. And companies have turned around and attached themselves to fulfilling these needs 
where there's a lot of people out here who had prescriptions and were using medications from these pharmaceutical companies who no longer could do both. You know, they couldn't keep up because people were sick. They, they, had, a, they had a limited force. So what is the impact going to be on pharmaceutical companies? And then lastly, in this last segment, I'd really like to your brain a little bit on what the future holds and what we've learned and how people can move forward with a positive vision that even though, you know, it's kind of like I think about a closet, you know, when I go to clean a closet, I pull everything out and it's a wreck, but then I put it back in and some things I throw away because they just don't apply to me anymore. And so we'll take a break. And when we come back, let's kind of wrap up with some of those issues. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I am the founder of the Ellenbecker Investment Group, and I am so pleased to know and to have had the opportunity to bring you Money Sense for the last 30 years. And this has given me a great opportunity to use this platform as a way to bring to the surface some of the issues that we're facing with the new COVID-19. And my guest today is Jim Miller, and he's the founder and the president of Miller Pause, and he's an independent healthcare consulting firm that's located right here in Milwaukee, right here in Waukesha. And Jim, before we took the break, I kind of brought up the idea of pharmaceuticals, and they've been trying their best to adapt to some of the new things, but it's also been a price to pay for some people who couldn't get the medicines and the things that they needed as well. How's that gonna impact people and the costs and our community? There used to be a time we used to have uh, doctors take the financial risk for patients. We used to, that was back in the HMO days, we called that capitation. One of the problems we had with that from a fairness point of view, from the physician and hospital system's point of view, is if my doctor said go lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds, if my doctor said go pick up the script at my desired pharmacy and I would not do that, my behavior would affect my health and ultimately their pocketbook by them taking the risk. So what's happened in the recent years, just not even going to the current right now, is employers and, and of all sizes have gone to high deductible plans, HSAs, which means you pay for your prescription and everything else before the, the coverage kicks in, and a lot of times it's like five thousand dollars. So in the in the in the nearer term, in the last let's say ten years or maybe at least five, the affordability has been a problem for employers employees to afford healthcare as as it relates to prescriptions. Now they're talking about not being dependent on other countries for our pharmaceuticals. So that'll be a whole supply chain modification if we bring them here it won't be an overnight kind of situation but it does point out in the area of medicine how dependent we are on other countries and through that process of these pharmaceuticals being made in other countries there's a there's a number of people who had got their hands on the pricing probably a dozen or more that then inflate that that uh, cost and therefore, that's probably got to be curbed somewhat. And unfortunately, I think when people talk about government regulation, which is a very dicey thing to talk about, I do think the pharmaceutical area is one area that probably does need to be, be uh, monitored more closely from a supply and demand point of view. 
just think about this, and I don't want to get too dramatic about this, but other countries bid for their healthcare services on pharmaceuticals holistically. Right now in this country, employers do it one by one, the larger ones, the self-funded ones, and insurance companies do it one by one by insurance companies. We have max really, really broad um, population here of, of, of demand. That would help drive down the cost, but that would be a dramatic different difference. So unless, unless the industry and all the people in the chain right now say, I want to go to heaven, let's just say, not take as much out of the system, that pricing will get worse, not better. Wow. Does that make sense? It, it makes sense, but it begs me to ask that next question of you of, you know, what do we learn to what will the future hold for people in healthcare and what, what can they expect? And is there a way that they can make a difference that they can change things? The one thing that I think is going to be for sure change is the, the supply chain. I think it's going to be more local is to be manufactured in the United States. The thing that's unknown is do we bulk buy and get a more efficient process? Manufacturing went to the system years ago with direct, you know, the employer, the manufacturer directly to the consumer. Amazon's done that. This has to happen in healthcare, but I don't know the time frame, uh, Karen, to be honest with you. Wouldn't you agree that everyone should have healthcare and have the peace of mind of feeling safe within their community if they get sick. And, and certainly there are a lot of people now who are to work and they don't have health care. There's a lot of people who, when it comes to putting a roof over their head or health care, they don't pay the premiums. It's, it's scary. This has brought, this has opened up Pandora's box for so many people and feeling helpless um, to know what to do. Well, you know, when there, were, there was help by the government to say you get $1,200 of a, a subsidy, right? Or $2,400 for a family. Yes. The first thing I thought of being in the uh, geeky insurance business is that's like one month's premium for Cobra. Yes. So it's like that won't, you know, people were saying to help pay their rent or put food on the table or help their kids in, in school and school supplies or whatever. What I thought of is they won't even get to that if they have healthcare coverage. So that goes to, again, the macro question about access and affordability. That's how we began the show. There's that constant trade-off. So let me just take you a step beyond that to be a little more um, insightful from lessons learned. Canada, next door neighbor of ours, has national healthcare, as you all know. Wealthy people from that community are not going to wait 12 to 16 months for, for a procedure, elective procedure with their heart or knee or hip. They come here to the USA. Before we get too upset about affordability, we have to remember the trade-offs. I do think our generation, the generation, it'll be a generational thing. I think there will be dramatic change in our industry, telehealth, waiting in line, what I mean, not having instant access when you got a pain especially elective surgeries. I think we're gonna to go to that, whether it's, whether it's national healthcare or some kind of dual choice, but it'll be a very dramatic change of people. And change is hard, especially when you're gonna go from the North Pole to the South Pole. 
but I think it's necessary right now. And I think this is this this crisis has kind of brought it to the front and center. I think for a lot of people, including myself, I don't. I'm thank goodness I am so blessed to be as healthy as I am. But I I've talked to many people who just aren't going to the doctor, and they're finding out that they can find solutions and maybe if they're aching or whatever they're exercising, they're getting up and doing. And so I think this also might help people take more responsibility for their health care. Absolutely true. Like I said earlier, physical therapy, walking exercise in other countries, they're healthier because number one, they don't have the transportation all the time. We do, we do it, but they don't have instant, they don't have drive through healthcare like we do. So that lessens the accountability. So I do think with more, with a different healthcare delivery system, people will be more accountable for their own health. I find it funny when I turn on the TV, which I rarely do these days, and there's all kinds of pharmaceutical ads, and they still got the ads up where people are socializing and having a blast because they take their medication. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, it's so hilarious to watch this because the world's gonna have to catch up with the reality of how things are and promote their products and promote it from a, a different perspective where people really can take responsibility for their own lives. My guest today has, is Jim Miller. He has been a fabulous guest talking about something that has been very difficult for people to understand, me included, is this whole healthcare. And Jim, I hope that you'll come back maybe in six months or so because I'd like to sit back and sort of you know, take that look and say, what's happened? Where are we going? Once we can get our feet on the ground a little bit. Jim is the founder and president of Miller Cause, and if you would like to reach him, you can go to 262-696-3610 or mycause.com. Jim, thank you so much. And I think, Wendy, are we at the end? We are. There she's giving us the sign. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to our COVID-19 edition of Money Sense. Our goal is to provide valuable information so that you can feel more confident in your financial decisions. You can listen to this show and any that you may have missed at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. To discuss these topics and more with one of our wealth advisors, call us at 262 691 3200 or visit ellenbecker.com for a complimentary consultation.